Hello, everybody. My name is Kyle. Uh, my wife, Michelle, and my son, Harrison, are somewhere, somewhere out there, maybe in the mom's room by now. I don't know. But um, they say hi. And um, I used to be in the film industry, and I left the film industry to go into ministry. And then I step in your church tonight, and there's cameras, and there's people walking around with walkie-talkies, and I'm told to hit my mark and uh, make sure you go under the camera so you don't get in shot. I'm like, I've stepped back into a whole other world here. Um, but it's great to be here. And Ian and Tam, I have no idea where you are, but you're somewhere out there again. I'm so glad that I could be here for your farewell. Um, Ian, I met Ian on my first night in Common Ground. It was called Friends First back there in 2006. He was the first guy I met. I joined his home group a week later and um, just loved that guy ever since. And uh, he's been such a, a leader and an older brother in my life. And so it's amazing to, to, to be here and see you guys off. And you guys are going to bless that part of the world. It's all been said, but I'll just say it again. You know, that's how we roll. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into it. Um, I'm kind of like Santa Claus today. I'm just making my way around, dropping off my gifts. Uh, these are my spiritual gifts that I'm dropping off. I've still got to get to my church after this in Seapoint to make my stop there down the chimney. But um, I'm looking, <laughs> yeah. but um, I wish I could hang around. I wish I could hang around to chat afterwards, but I'm just flagging that. I, I will be running out the door, not because I don't like you guys. Um, but let's get into it. Uh, we are back in the Gospel of Mark today. We're going to be in it for the next four weeks. I'm pretty sure you guys are on the same train as us. And uh, then we'll dip back in and out of it throughout the year as we go. And let me quickly locate us in, in the Mark journey, because some of you uh, might not remember that we were in the Book of Mark last year. Some of you might have just joined us this year and you've no idea, uh, you know, you don't know who, who Mark is. So um, Mark is a book of the Bible. It's 16 chapters long. And last year we took the first half and we basically went through that from chapter one to just at the end of chapter eight, basically. And then Holy Week, uh, last week and Easter, we then jumped to chapter 14 and finished the book, 14 to 16. And so what we're doing now is we're basically closing that gap for the next while. Uh, the end of chapter eight to the end of chapter 13, we're filling in that gap. And essentially, let me quickly catch you up on the story of Mark and the, the big idea. Um, Mark's gospel is probably the earliest account of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. It probably is the earliest account. And his version focuses quite heavily on the actions and the life of Jesus rather than majoring on his words and his teachings. Now, they're obviously in there, and you'll, I'll say that, and then tonight you'll be like, it's all Jesus' words. Um, but essentially, some of the other gospels spend ages, Sermon on the Mount, all that stuff, not Mark. He has got Jesus on the move, doing things, action, action, action. Um, and he's basically asking two big questions when he's writing his gospel. He's trying to, he's trying to paint uh, two big things. Who is this man, Jesus, and what is he doing or what has he done? And basically, Mark is centered around those two questions. And essentially, the first half, of the, Mark is looking at, first, first half of the Mark is looking at the first one, who is this man? And the second half, it gets into, um, and what is he doing? What is he here for? And, and how is he going to do that? And he gave away the game. Um, he had like no spoiler alert when he kicked off Mark's gospel. Verse one, he said, um, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So he kind of just laid it out. And then he built the case for eight chapters, essentially. And he tracked through the life of Jesus and his activities and his interactions with a whole bunch of different groups, the religious leaders, uh, the sort of societal outcasts, and then most primarily, in a way, his uh, band of 12 disciples. And he painted the picture of Jesus being the Messiah. And where we left off in our story at the end of last year, end of chapter 8, basically, was Jesus and his disciples were up north, um, top of Galilee, in a place called Caesarea Philippi. 
And they had gathered together, and basically the disciples had had their eyes opened, and they recognized Jesus correctly for who he was, um, the anointed one, the Messiah sent by God. So he wasn't just a random carpenter. He wasn't just a teacher. They often called him rabbi. He wasn't just some sage full of wisdom. No, 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 no. This was the Holy One of God, the one who had come to fulfill the promises given to Israel, to uh, be a blessing to the world, to help restore the world after human beings and our sins stuffed it up really badly and separated us from God. And God said, I'm going to work through this nation, Israel. And Jesus came basically as the Messiah, which Israel failed to do their job. And Jesus came as the ultimate Israel to uh, reconcile human beings to God. And uh, today's passage Mark chapter 8, verse 31 to 9, verse 1. That's where we are. And essentially, it's a pivot point in the book. So we really are right in the middle of the book now. And Mark has set up, this is who Jesus is. And now we're going to pivot and see, okay, what is the mission that Jesus is on? And how is he going to accomplish it? And then we're going to watch him accomplish it. And that's what we kind of celebrated last week over Easter. And so where are we going tonight? Um, Basically, we've got four questions that our little story or passage answers, uh, what is Jesus going to do? And by that, I don't mean what's he going to do in the future, although that's part of it, but kind of put yourself in the text and the people there. What's Jesus going to do at this point in the story of Mark? And then what does Jesus invite us into? Why should we respond to his invitation? And how can we keep going on this path? So that's what we're getting into tonight. And for those of you who are here, and maybe you're watching online, and you don't consider yourself a Christ follower, you're not someone who knows, loves Jesus, um, you don't identify with Jesus, um, you're so welcome. I really hope that as God speaks through me tonight, uh, that you will have a lot of clarity, uh, that you will have uh, some things explained to you that will help you respond to Jesus' invitation on your life tonight um, as, we, as we're gathering together. So please lean in. This is not just directed at those who call themselves Christ followers or common grounders. So here we go. What is Jesus going to do? Let's get into the first question. What is Jesus going to do? Uh, verse 31. So remember, he's just, revealed, like, he's just been revealed as the Messiah. And he says this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's him, must suffer many things, And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly, because Jesus often says things in riddles. Um, He said this one plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of God. Of man. Spicy. Um, so, basically, for Peter and his disciples, I shouldn't have put the lid on. Give me a second here. Sorry, that was dumb. Um, for Peter and his disciples, this is literally shocking thing after shocking thing after shocking thing that's coming up in, in this dialogue here. Um, so, first of all, they've rightly identified Jesus as the Messiah. Um, and in their mind, he's coming to restore Israel. Um, right in one sense, but they pictured him coming to restore Israel as a mighty warrior to overthrow the Roman oppressors. They were living under Roman colonial occupation in in Israel in that time. Um, So that was what's happening in their mind. This is who the Messiah is. And in the next moment after Jesus says, that's me, I'm the Messiah, he then says, yep, and I must suffer, and I'm going to be rejected by all the rulers of this place, and I'm going to die. Okay, shocking thing number one, like a complete slap in the face. Shocking thing number two, Jesus says he's going to rise from the dead in three days. Now, um, 
People rising from the dead is a shocking thing in general, and it was a shocking thing back then, just so you know. Um, But uh, they would have had the mindset as ancient Jews, and as we do as modern Christians, that um, at the end of the age, this age, um, all human beings will rise from the dead. We 100% believe that, some to um, everlasting judgment and some to everlasting life with, with the God of the Bible. Um, and they believed that this resurrection, this great resurrection was one day going to happen, but they didn't conceive that the Messiah, first he would die, and then he would rise himself long before this general resurrection. So they get another sort of um, shocking moment here. And it doesn't make any sense here to them. And so Peter, um, the wise man that he is, he pulls Jesus, the Messiah, the person he's just designated, the Holy One, anointed one of God, and he rebukes him. He rebukes him. And that basically means he tells him off sternly. It's like a teacher just tuning one of their students in class. Like, stop that. It's a strong, strong word. In fact, the word is actually the same word Mark uses earlier in his gospel um, to describe Jesus telling demons to shut up. Okay, Jesus rebuked the demon and said, shut up. And that's exactly what um, Peter is doing to Jesus here. And as it's happening, Jesus, he's got obviously Peter up in his face right now, and he sees the disciples with Peter. And uh, I think he probably recognizes that Peter is just the spokesman. He's a bit of a loud mouth, and they probably all have the same wrong view. Um, and so Jesus, uh, I love it, he literally, uh, but Jesus rebuked Peter. It's like one for one. And Jesus rebukes him back. And says, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Shocking thing number three. You just got called Satan. It's huge. Now, here's here's the thing I want to say here, is that the problem in this moment for Peter was not that he had, how did I put it here? It's not that he had competing loyalties, but that he had an incompatible ideology. Okay, he didn't have competing loyalties. He had an incompatible ideology. And what I mean by that is, this wasn't a moment where all of a sudden Peter was like, ooh, I think Satan's pretty cool. Let me cozy up next to him and rebuke Jesus. That wasn't going through Peter's mind. No, what happened was Peter co-opted and appropriated Jesus to his agenda. That's what happened. He had this view of how um, the the world should work and how um, Israel should throw off the oppressors and all that stuff. And Jesus just was not a part of that. Peter co-opted him. And we all need to beware of doing this in our day and age. There's a million agendas that you could co-opt Jesus into, into your life. Okay, there's a million of them. And if Jesus did come to overthrow the Roman oppressors and free that generation of Jews, sorry, he did the worst job. He was the most terrible example of that. There's actually tons of better examples in history if that's what you're looking for. Jesus is not the go-to guy for that. But if Jesus came to do something far deeper, far more paradoxical, to defeat Satan, sin, and death and begin a whole sort of new creation project, a new humanity, by dying on a cross and rising again, he was 100% successful. And I would contend he was 100% successful. And that's exactly what we celebrated over over Holy Week and Easter. That's what Jesus came to do. That's the crux of it. It has tons of other ramifications, but that's the core. That's the 100% core. And I know this congregation, I haven't been here for two years. Some of you might remember me, some of you might not. But I know the generation in this this group. I was the student's ministry leader uh, here a few years ago. Generations ago, it feels like. Now there's Josh, there was Ollie. I'm like way in the past. But anyways... Um, but I want to say to Bosch PM tonight, and this is, I got, literally got a little Bosch PM part of my notes here. It won't go into the next message at uh, C point. But um, we need to be aware of doing this, co-opting Jesus to our agenda. And I want to say, guys, spend more time in your Bible than on blogs. 
spend more time in scripture than in sociology textbooks and in social theories that have been around for the last 30 years. Just do that. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to co-opt Jesus to your agenda. And what happens at the end of the day then is eventually you realize, actually, Jesus doesn't quite fit my agenda. I've had to mold him into it, and you'll just cast Jesus out of your agenda in a few years. And I don't want that to happen. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. And Jesus uses stark language here because he knows the trajectory that it can go on when you do this. That's why he gets up in Peter's face and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I, maybe the elders might use that language with you. I don't know, but um, uh, I, I hope not. But um, <laughs> I feel like Jesus can get away with it. You guys can't. But um, to be honest, um, if your elders lovingly confront you and say, you're going on a dangerous path here, listen to them. When they get serious and they get up in, into your face when they need to, um, listen to them. When Harrison is, my son, is, he can't walk yet. He's, he's taking his sweet time there. But when, when love the guy, but come on, man. Um, but when he uh, can walk, God willing, um, if he just starts running towards traffic, okay, if, he's a, if he just runs away from me and starts trying to run across the road, I'm not going to say, Harrison, you know what, why don't you just come back, bro, like, uh, rather just come here, I don't know if this will work, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to be, Harrison, stop, this is going to hurt you, please come back, and that's what Jesus is doing to Peter here, and I pray that we do this to each other, not just the elders, to, to the rest of us, I pray that we love one another by doing this, and not co-opting Jesus to our own agendas, so, yeah, I wasn't to say that. There we go. Thanks, Rich. Um, for those of you who are exploring, okay, and like you're already like cool, like I'm in here and I'm not a Christ follower and a lot is being said here and the guy is rising from the dead and all this, um, I want to just say, because you might be sitting here or watching online and, and, and you're thinking, she's some Middle Eastern guy 2,000 years ago, um, basically sort of a peasant died on a cross and that's meant to have saved the world from ruin and evil and death and it just sounds a bit ridiculous to me. I want to say to you, and maybe there's a lot of you online, I want to say to you, um, you're not crazy to, to think it sounds crazy. You're not crazy to think it. Yeah, it, it is wild. And I, I, like, I just need to, let, I need to let you off the hook here and, and say to you, it's okay to think that it sounds crazy and for sometimes you to even think we're crazy. That's okay. We're just going to play open cards here and say, um, Peter at the time thought, I just don't get this. This doesn't seem to fit. Is this? I wouldn't have done this, Peter was saying. And you might be saying the same. And I want to say, these are God's ways, not our ways. And that's just, that's just true. And you might think, hey, this is really weird and really bizarre. I do think if you investigate and you trust God and you spend time, there's a lot of logic and a lot of reason. And a lot of this makes 100% bank your life on its sense. But I do just want to say... I get it. I get where you are, but I also want to say we also believe that it is the wisdom and the power of God. That's what we believe that Jesus' story is. And so um, I just want to say that here, and you can keep listening now, um, but just know I've acknowledged you and don't think you're crazy. So um, Jesus has now basically set us on a trajectory, okay? He has said, this is who I am. This is my plan. And now the rest of the Gospel of Mark is basically going to head towards Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So that leads us to the next question, basically, for tonight is, what does Jesus invite us into? What does Jesus invite us into? And that's the people then, but also you and me tonight. So verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, so there were a bunch of other people around here in Caesarea Philippi, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, 
and follow me. I'll say it again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So Jesus is heading towards the cross. He's heading towards the resurrection. And basically, the glory of the next age, the future age, where sin and death and sorrow is removed, that's going to come through the cross. Jesus is going to attain that via the cross. And now he throws out this invitation to the crowd then and us today in Cape Town, 21st century. And he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, okay, that's what he says. If anyone would come after me, it's a, it's a personal voluntary invitation, basically, to come get resurrection, glory, and honor through the cross like Jesus. That's what he's throwing out here to us. And he says, if anyone wants this, wants what I'm offering, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So let's just un- unpack these. Um, let's kick off with deny yourself. Okay, I've kind of divided into two. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So deny yourself. He's not simply saying deny yourself things, like um, deny yourself uh, food for those 18 hours on your intermittent fasting app. He's not saying deny yourself chocolate for Lent. I don't think he disapproves of that, for example, but that's not what he's getting at here. Um, Those things might come from what he's saying here, but actually at the core of what he's saying is basically what he says, which is deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. To remove yourself as the center of the world. It's a fundamental reorientation of life. One commentator said this, What Jesus calls for here is thus a radical abandonment of one's own identity and self-determination. And a call to join the march to the place of execution follows appropriately from this. And Jesus is saying, no, deny yourself. Deny your agenda. Deny your individual agenda. Deny your social agenda. Deny your national agenda. Deny your religious agenda. Deny your ideological agenda. Deny um, yourself the, 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 the right, which is not really a right, to define right and wrong in your own eyes. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. And then as an outcome of this, as an outcome of this, is going to uh, flow a bunch of stuff that we then need to deny to ourselves. Okay, so we'll want to say certain things over time, and we'll just have to deny ourselves saying those things. Okay, we'll want to uh, pursue certain things, but we'll have to deny ourselves. We'll want to keep certain things, but we'll have to deny ourselves. And I reckon if you've been a Christ follower for more than a day, you've probably experienced this to some degree already. Um, but it's kind of part and parcel of what it means to, to be a Jesus follower. And it isn't easy. It's totally not easy. It actually is very hard at times, and it comes with consequences, which is exactly why Jesus says what he says next, which is, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And we all know from last weekend, okay, the cross was the most horrific, shameful form of execution in the Roman Empire, and um, a condemned person would have had to carry their literal cross beam from the place of judgment to the place of execution. And so Jesus did that. He was helped out by um, Simon of Cyrene along the way. But that was a very stark image that these guys would have been familiar with, and they all knew what he was speaking about. He was talking about execution. He was talking about death. No two ways uh, around that. He was saying, if you want to follow me, don't expect an easy time. Don't expect an easy time. Okay? Don't expect to have all your hopes and all your wants and all your expectations met. 
You might have heard the famous quote um, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a uh, pastor, martyr, prophet, spy in Nazi Germany. He's got a fantastic biography. Let me punt it by Eric Metaxas. Go get it if you've never read it, which I read as most of you, but it's fantastic. Um, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, was arrested by the Nazis. He was in a concentration camp. He was literally executed about three days, I think it was, before his camp was liberated. Like, that is just the, the sort of roughest timing. But he um, had this very famous quote. He's actually got several famous quotes, but here's one. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And every commentator agrees. Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he has in mind very literal, very real, very physical death. Because you've got to remember, out of the 12 disciples following Jesus here, 10 of them died as martyrs. 10 of them died as martyrs. It's very, very real, the history of our faith. And people die as martyrs today, elsewhere in the world. It's, it's a bit foreign to us, but the truth is we aren't facing... Um, the death sentence or the death penalty or whatever you want to call it um, for our allegiance to Christ, for um, proclaiming the name of Jesus, for holding to his words and teachings. Uh, That being said, there is a cost in our culture. There are costs, maybe I could say, in our culture. And if you paid any attention to the world in the last 10, 20 years, you'll realize if you're astute, the costs are going up. The costs are going up. Before we carry on deep dive here, I just want to clarify what Jesus is not saying here. What Jesus is not saying here. Uh, A few things. He's definitely not saying, seek persecution. So he's not saying, go and find people and rile them up and get them to hate you, and then you will know you are my disciples. Go and find the persecution. Go and find the haters. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's also not saying, go and stir up strife and ruffle some feathers so you just really hack some people off, particularly online. You know, that's not what he's saying. That's, I, know, I know this generation, guys. I was a part of this church for like 16 years. I was one of them. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's not saying also on the other side, if it's not hard, it's not God. That's not what he's saying. I'm trusting that people in this room, if you're a Christ follower, you know Good times and experiences of God's joy and grace and fun times with family and friends. Hopefully that is a reality for us. And you know that just because um, it's easy doesn't mean God's not involved in it. The grace of God is glorious. And he also doesn't have in mind here all hardships. Okay? He doesn't have in mind all hardships. There's some hardships that are going to happen to everybody. Sickness and death okay? is going to happen to everybody. And we're all acutely aware of that right now. I'm sitting here with our masks on. We know that. Um, and there's hardships that are going to be brought about by um, our own sin and our own stupidity or other people's sin and other people's stupidity. Um, and that's not necessarily what Jesus is getting at. Yeah? In fact, if you bring your own hardships on, that's, that is stupid. Um, and we do that, unfortunately, as humans, but that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here are the hardships we face as a result of denying ourselves, identifying with Jesus, and being about his mission in the world. That's what he's talking about. That's specifically what he's talking about. And that's going to look like a whole bunch of different things, right? For a whole bunch of different people at different times and different places and different cultures. Um, And I'm not going to throw out every single example here of what it could look like in this room. But, you know, there's a bunch, man. Like, it's going to look like saying no to that relationship that you know God's saying no on and you really want it. We're going to have a a girl tonight at at Seapoint. She's going to share our testimony of the... (laughs) Thank goodness she said no because her life would be on a different trajectory if she didn't. She probably wouldn't be following Jesus today. But it's probably going to look like things like that. It's probably going to look like um, telling people what you believe when asked. 
Actually, I'm kind of hoping that's the bare minimum, <laughs> that you're actually just honest. Uh, when, people, when you see people at Varsity or your uh, work colleagues, if you have those physical work colleagues anymore, and there's actually moments to actually chat about stuff in person that doesn't happen often on Zoom, um, and they say, hey, how was your weekend? You can respond and say, I went to church, X, Y, Z. You can take it from there. But I hope you don't just say, yeah, nothing much, man. Nothing much. That was cool. How was yours? That's the stuff that Jesus is getting at putting ourselves on the spot, being on the spot. And it's going to look like in our culture a lot of things. It's going to look like possibly being called a narrow-minded bigot. It's probably going to look like that. Probably going to look like even being called evil. And I mean, you should go and read the book of First Peter. Go and read the book of First Peter. It is all about Christian persecution. And long before persecution gets physical, it's going to be verbal and it's going to be social. And that's what Peter's dealing with there. And just listen to what he says here. Uh, 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so those who don't know and love Jesus. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Don't miss that. You're going to be doing good deeds, things that God loves, and you're going to be celebrating the goodness of God and his ways in this world, and people will call you evildoers. Don't miss it. There's a lot of silence in the room because you know it's true. You know it's true. And I want to just ask us now, hey man, are you really sticking out like in your other circles? Or are, are, we, are you a bit of a, I mean, I'm not saying you as in like you, I'm just using the preacher's you. Um, or are you a bit of a chameleon? Like you kind of blend in which in every circle, you, I'm with my church friends, I'm like this. When I'm with these guys, I'm with like that, you know. Do you get the 100% thumbs up for everything you say and believe from every single friendship group and every single social circle? Because if you do, you're probably not denying yourself and you're probably denying Jesus at some point. That's just the, the, the facts of the matter here. Okay, I remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been studying it in the, in the, in the sea point. He says, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for that's how people used to treat the false prophets. Bing! Where's the pin dropping? I can hear it. But this is something for us to contemplate, okay? This is not meant to be a heavy. It's just something for, we have to contemplate this, okay? And we have to ask ourselves this week and do it. Carve our time this week, tonight, whatever, sometime this week, and just ask yourself this question. Am I really denying myself and carrying my cross? Am I really denying myself and carrying my cross? And you've got to answer that personally. No one else can answer it for you. The worst thing you can do is look around and be like, does that look like what carrying your cross is? Because that doesn't look too bad. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'm fine. Don't compare Look at your life, look at your circumstances, take, take our time and place and history into account and your current context and ask yourself that question. We all need to ask it. Are we compromising? Are we hiding our light? Are we shying away from truth? Are we actually embarrassed about Jesus and the things he said? Oh, sorry, guys. You said that one. Yeah, no, just look over there for a second. Let me just burn that page. Okay. And I just want to say this as well. Please don't use wisdom as an excuse. And I think we've probably all done this. I'm going to give an example of myself doing this. But what I mean by that is we take the glorious teachings from the Bible on wisdom and we insert them here as an excuse to justify denying Jesus in the moment. And we do this often. And I don't mean that we need to die on every hill. That's not what I'm saying. You don't need to die on every single hill. Um, But I guess the concern is how many of us are uh, dying on any hills? How many of us are even taking bullets on any hills? Are we close to any hills? Are there any guns being shot at us and are we close to any hills? That's how I want to sum that up. That's, that's a question we need to ask ourselves here. 
Is anyone even being shot at at points? And I know some of you are. I know that. And let me just say that. But man, guys, we're not taking literal guns to our head and we don't have literal bullets flying at us right now. But there are metaphorical pea shooters at least. And can we, can we, can we take them? Can we take them? And we can, but I want to encourage you to take them. Take the metaphorical pea shooters at the moment. Okay, don't, don't insert wisdom and say, no, I can't break up with this person because I might be the only one that can point them to Christ. That is a moment when you have to say, no, get behind me, Satan. That thought is a lie. I might be injecting wisdom, but uh, it's false wisdom. It's denial of Christ, and it's not denial of self. Save yourselves. Save yourselves from this crooked generation, Jesus says. Okay, here's a ridiculous example from my life. It's tiny. It's not ridiculous. It's actually quite profound, but it's pretty tiny in the grand scheme of things. Eight years ago, I said I was kind of in the film industry. I was trying to make it in a bunch of ways, particularly in the acting sphere. Uh, thank you, thespian. And um, I, didn't w- I didn't want to lose opportunities, and I didn't want... Uh, doors of opportunity to be closed. And so I didn't want to ruffle up any feathers or offend anyone needlessly. And uh, it's a very liberal environment, the, the film industry. I'm sure you're all aware of that. Um, and so I just didn't want to offend people. And I, I, essentially, I, what I did was I went onto my Twitter one day and I just did a little edit on my bio. And I just removed three words which said, uh, follower of Jesus. Just made a little edit. And in my head, in wisdom, I justified I said, hey, I can remove this now so that I can get a gap to share with people later and maybe have more influence later as this great personality you know, on the Hollywood screen, and I'll use my influence then. But I'll, I'll deny Jesus now, so I won't deny him then. That's what I did. I totally justified it in my own head. The only person being denied there was Jesus, not myself. Here's the last thing, guys. This has been the heavy, big, main point of the whole thing. And then we're going to move on to motivation um, because we can do this. Um, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the cross is heavy or the flak is coming and the, the peas are flying at you. Don't be, or the bullets one day. Don't be surprised. If you literally type in, do not be surprised, into your ESV Bible. I did it the other day. Cha-ching. Two things come up in the whole Bible. They both talk about basically this topic of what I'm talking about. One John. John writes, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. <laughs> he said it. Okay? And then one Peter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Nothing strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad with his glory when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's amazing. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. That's dumb. That's what he's saying. Don't suffer there. Stupid. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Jesus invites us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to to follow him, which then leads to our next question for the evening, which is this drum roll. Um, Why should I did the drum roll because I wasn't sure how long Josh would take, but you're on it, man. You're on it, bro. Um, why should we respond to this invitation? Because it, 
it is a tough one. If we, if, if we actually take Jesus at his word, it's radical and it's hard. So let's read here. Verse 35 to 38. Jesus carries on here. For, a.k.a. because, whoever would lose his life, sorry, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again, the very real thing Jesus was talking about here with his disciples was literal physical death. But the wider meaning is here for us. Dying to ourselves every single day, okay? not preserving our safety, not preserving our popularity, not preserving our reputation amongst people. Now, why do that? Why, why, why lose your lives and not preserve those things? Why do it? Because it comes... If, we, if, if you all just took 10 minutes to, th- to write down the ramifications in your family and your friendship circles right now or your job, um, you'd start to see it looks pretty serious. And I actually encourage us all to do this this week. But it seems like there's a lot to lose. There is a lot to lose. And so why do it? And what does Jesus say? His big answer is simply this. It's worth it. It's so, so worth it. That's the bottom line of what Jesus says here, okay? The reason he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, is because whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake and the gospels is going to find it. You will see your life coming alive. And you will experience everything that you are meant to be experiencing. The whole paradox of the cross, Jesus dying and rising and actually that being the way to victory, is meant to be the paradox of our lives. Dying to live. That's meant to be our lives. And Jesus is calling us to an absolute radical abandonment of ourselves and our self-autonomy and our self-expression and maybe even our self-care because that is really getting dialed up in our culture. And he says, guys, this leads to life. This leads to life. It leads to life to the full, life that is truly life, the presence of God now, the experience of new creation now, the hope of a physical resurrected body on the other side of the grave then. Eternal life. That's what eternal life is. The whole package. And he says, it is worth it. It is so, so worth it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It doesn't profit you. It doesn't profit you to you one bit. In fact, it is just a loss. That is Jesus' point. It's just a loss. What can a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Only Jesus can ransom your soul, which he did on the cross. Denying yourself is worth it. Denying Jesus is not worth it. That's the bottom line. Okay, True life is worth more, literally worth more than the whole universe put together. All the money, all the experiences that not just you, but every 8 billion people on the planet could muster up till we land on Mars thanks to SpaceX and carry on doing it there. All of that doesn't compare to knowing Jesus. Lose all of that and gain Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth it. Knowing God as your father is worth it. Being transformed into the likeness of Jesus is worth it. Knowing you're going to physically rise from dead and live forever 
I mean, that one alone is like, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Knowing that everything you do is going to count for eternity is worth it. Saying no to sin is worth it. Giving up your time and your money and your energy for the expansion of the gospel in Cape Town and Madagascar and India and beyond is worth it. Totally worth it. Seeing people coming to faith and being baptized and walking in newness of life, worth it. Absolutely worth it. Getting rejected by friends and family for your beliefs about God or money or sexuality is worth it. That's what Jesus is saying. It is worth it. Getting strung up on Facebook before the world. They're stupid, intolerant, bigoted, narrow-minded. Hope it doesn't happen, but it'll be worth it if it does. Don't go doing that stupidly. That's my point there, though. Friends, those who persevere to the end will be saved. Those who persevere to the end will be saved. The Bible consistently says that it's worth it. Gaining the whole world and losing out on life that is truly life is not worth it. It's not worth it. Saving our skin, saving our lives, saving face is not worth it. Indulging the fleeting pleasures of sin is not worth it. Being rejected by Jesus upon his return is not worth it. It's not worth it. So let's not be ashamed of Jesus. Let's not shy away from him and his words and his ways. Let's not be embarrassed about the gospel. It's the very thing the whole world needs. It's the very thing, the life, death, and resurrection and his words and ways is the very thing our dying world needs. Let's not shrink back. Let's not be embarrassed about it. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And many people find it. But the, 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 the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and few find it. Friends, let's go. Let's go through the narrow gate of Christ on the cross and let's walk the narrow road of cross-bearing discipleship. It is totally, totally worth it. And I hope you hear me and you hear Jesus on that. One last thing here. A pastoral word, it's not in the text, but it's true nonetheless. Um, carrying your cross, denying yourself, helps others to do the same. It helps other people in this community and other communities do the same. And I journey with several people whose self-denial and carrying their crosses loom so large in front of their face every single day that when they look around either our community or other communities that they're a part of, and they look around and they ask themselves, Geez, is anyone actually really carrying their crosses here or is it just me? That makes the cross a million times harder to bear. And so this is not, denying yourself and carrying a cross is not just a way of finding life, it's a way of loving other people. It's a way of loving other people. And it makes it totally worth it. And that's why we should respond to this invitation. But now let's end on this. How can we keep going? Because, man, this is hectic. Let's just call it that. It's hectic stuff. How can we keep going on this path? How can we persevere together? How can we encourage each other on this? What do we need inside our souls? The last sentence here from Jesus. Mark 9, verse 1. Ending this whole dialogue. He said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And he ends off his invitation to the disciples here, and he's strengthening them. He's strengthening them, and he's saying, have this knowledge that the power of God 
is going to be at hand. You're going to see it very shortly, and then it's going to be at hand. It's going to be inside you. And um, there's a couple of things this could be, what Jesus is talking about here. It could be that the next story at the Mount of Transfiguration, it could be Jesus crushing death on the cross and being risen again. Uh, it could be Jesus ascending to the Father and receiving his kingdom and people seeing that glory. It could be the Spirit being poured out on the church at Pentecost. Whatever exactly Jesus is talking about here, um, we're on the other side of all of that. So we can look back and say, sheepers, the power of God is real. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's been spreading for 2,000 years. We can take courage. We can take confidence. The power of God is available, and we've seen it. We've seen it. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't just say, deny yourselves, carry your crosses. He also says, follow me. You're not going to be alone. You're not going to be alone. Why? Because you're walking with Jesus. She's saying, follow me. Get into my proximity. Be with me. Be with me. And you'll never walk alone. Liverpool fans, sorry for your season. Um, It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to be a wrestle in this life. Why? Because if you're a Christ follower in this room, you are caught between two ages. You are caught between the future perfect age and the fallen age in which we live in. That's your reality. But if you've trusted in Christ and you're following him, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. Okay? You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You've been declared not guilty before the throne of God. You are a new creation. The power that conquered the grave lives in you. That's what you have at your disposal. You will rise again like Jesus on the other side of death. And that eternal life is in you right now. But your body has not yet been redeemed. And so the struggle is still on. And the world around us doesn't recognize and love the person and the words and the work and the ways of Jesus. But we are on a road to glory, friends. We are on a road to glory. And all the hardships and the persecution and whatever it looks like is, doesn't compare to the weight of glory that awaits us. It, it does not compare to what is ahead. But there is a cross that we carry until we get there. But we're not alone. We've got generations of Christ followers that cheer us on. We've got God We've got each other, but we've got generations of Christ followers that cheer us on from the heavenly places. And I'm going to call the band up as I read here from Hebrews chapter 12. Just literally listen to the author of Hebrews here as we come into a close. He's talking to people just like us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Don't miss that. Run with endurance. We're going to need it. Jesus, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, Why consider Jesus right now? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's the key to not clapping out on this road, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Friends, Jesus denied himself. He bowed to the Father's will. He went to the cross on our behalf so that we don't have to. And when we're facing hills that we need to die on, remember, 
Jesus literally died on a hill for us. So consider him. Remember what he went through. And let that strengthen you so that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. And if you've been listening and you're not a Christ follower, you're online at home, Jesus' invitation is for you for the first time. And let's not pull any punches. It's a radical invitation. It's a radical invitation to deny yourself and follow him. But it's worth it. Tonight, right now in this room, what you can do or at home, what you can do is deny yourself for the first time and say, I need to get off the throne of my life and I need to submit to Jesus as Lord and trust him that what he did on the cross paid for my sins and I'm going to follow him till kingdom come. And you'll start this very real, radical journey that's totally worth it. I'm going to close in prayer and the band's going to lead us in a song. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this passage, this text. God, help us. This is not a, it's, it's a hard word, but it's not a heavy word. You are with us. You are for us. You painted the picture of why it's so worth it. And you said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. I put brothers and sisters around you. I live inside of you. So Father, help us do this. Help us fix our eyes upon you right now to strengthen us. Help us to take stock this week like we need to and consider our lives, and then let us press on for the glory that awaits us. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for every person who is a part of this amazing congregation. I thank you for the leaders. And God, bless this church, bless the rest of this evening, and be with them. And I pray that you continue to beautify your bride in this part of the city. Amen.